0: To unlock new experiences, you have to go past the parking lot, past the ranger station, past the places you know. Our national parks are our national treasure. Places ancient, epic, and wild. Where moments are simple and friendships come alive. To celebrate the centennial of our national parks, our team at REI wants to help you to go deeper and explore our nation's most inspiring places. REI, a life outdoors is a life well lived.
1: You're listening to the Jerpack Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from Patagonia, Kuat Racks, and Fireside Provisions.
0: Hi, what's up? It's Fitz. Welcome to the second episode of our new Milepost series, a series about the places that mean the most to our community and the people that inhabit them. If it all goes well, you will continue to hear Milepost stories for years to come. This year, to kick off the series, and, well, because it's the centennial of America's best idea, we've decided to take a tour of our country's national parks. So today, we're going to travel to North Carolina with contributing writer Melina Coogan and spend a night out on Andrews Bald in Great Smoky National Park. I'm Fitzgall, Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
1: The road to Andrews Bald was knee-deep with ruts, as if the earth had melted overnight. There had been no transition from winter into spring this year. Yesterday there was driving snow and today the daffodils nodded their heads alongside the sidewalks in Asheville, and I heard on the news the temperature was going to reach 70. I'm still getting used to the south, where seasons change like this, in a snap. I reached the trailhead and stepped out of the car into the soft air, tipping my face towards the sunlight. I shouldered my backpack and started up the trail, exchanging greetings with the other hikers I passed along the way. There were more people out than I expected on a Monday afternoon in early March. After all, I was out there because I needed a night to be by myself. But then again, the Smoky Mountain National Park is the most visited park in the country. I shouldn't have been so surprised. Halfway up the trail, my left leg went numb, with no warning. As if the same sudden switch that controlled the seasons was at work inside of me. I had to concentrate with every step, willing my leg to work with me instead of dragging behind me like an old dog. Then it hit me. So what if my foot dragged? Aside from the strangers I passed along the trail, I was alone. Nobody would see me limping up the trail. So what would it matter? I got married this past summer, in the middle of a field in my tiny Vermont hometown. My husband, David, had just returned from a kayaking trip in Labrador, Canada, just two days before the wedding. He was a little underweight from three weeks in the backcountry, and his red curls were sunbright and wild around his shoulders. Our wedding was this explosion of shoestring budget beauty. Our friends made everything for us. They arranged the blue hydrangeas and baked the rhubarb cream pies and made lanterns from a hundred mason jars. We didn't sleep alone on our wedding night. Our friends didn't have the cash to make it all the way to Vermont and then pay for our hotel room on top of that. So they slept outside, or they slept with us, sprawled out like dreams across the pull-out bed in the bridal suite, still wearing sundresses and their good shoes. I hardly ever get to see them like this, so quiet and still. Our friends are a collective whirlwind of climbers and bikers and kayakers, and they're around the house a lot when the rivers are running in the southeast. David is the most energetic of all of them, utterly incapable of sitting still. During the wedding, he rocked back and forth on his heels, and his hands shook as he read his vows. Mine didn't shake. I wasn't afraid to get married, or of public speaking, and I love being the center of attention, My wedding day was, for all these reasons, quite literally the best day of my life. That was the last time my hands were still for a while. A few days later, on our honeymoon in Acadia, the fingers on my left hand began to jerk up and down, as if I were playing an invisible piano. The Atlantic rolled in the background as I held my hand up with a simple, Look at this, David. After just a mile or so on the trail, I emerged from the forest out onto the summit. The weakness in my leg had migrated to my arm. It hung useless at my side, but I could walk okay again. The grass up there had been trampled, by snow or by feet, or maybe, less likely, a herd of grazing cattle. The southern Appalachians are famous for their mountain balds, the rounded, grassy summits with a noticeable absence of trees. The lack of forest at this elevation can be expected in colder climates. But in the comparatively tepid Appalachians, these lofty expanses of oak, grass and heath remain a mystery. As a newcomer to the south, I was fascinated by the balds. They are hauntingly beautiful, with views of mountain ranges unspooling in every direction, layer upon layer of ridge lines fading into one another in lightning shades of blue. And there, in all those thousands of acres of wilderness, I could not make out one speck or shadow of human existence. No houses or highways or blinking radio towers, just the blue wash of mountains and the hard green stalks of grass underfoot. If I would wanted a lonely place to spend the night, I'd chosen well. Okay, so it's windy out, you might catch that. It's really windy, we're at the top of a bald. And the first time I realized I was out here alone was when I set up my sleeping bag and I had it sort of crushed against one side of the tent, like you do when you're sharing it with someone. And then I realized that I could just put it in the middle of my tent because I'm going to be out here alone tonight. And nobody knows this. Um, I'm going to be 31 in three days and I have never slept in the wilderness by myself in my life. Frankly, I've never wanted to. I've always just much rather be with somebody else. Actually, you know what? Um, it's not so bad. It's not so bad when I'm alone um, to be um, to be having these symptoms because I'm like I'm constantly trying to hide them from everybody just because I don't want to worry people and I don't want to always be talking about um, what's wrong with me and so it's kind of nice to be like okay I'm watching my leg and my arm twitch like crazy like hop off of my sleeping bag and it sucks but you know it's happening and I don't at least I don't have to worry about hiding it from anyone After the honeymoon, the trembling in my hands subsided and was replaced by a more troubling set of symptoms. One night while some friends and I camped on the East Fork, a searing pain shot through my face from one side of my jaw to the other, and all night long I lay rigid inside the tent, afraid to move, the sound of their laughter, pieces of their stories floating in through the nylon walls. And after that night, I was too spooked to ever go too far from home. I needed to be close to my bed... So all of my pills and the hot water in the bathtub. My symptoms were constantly changing, sometimes painful, other times just inconvenient. One morning I woke up and I was paralyzed. It's a type of nocturnal seizure. I was conscious, but unable to open my eyes as I tried to work out in my brain whether or not I was even awake. It took five different doctors for me to be diagnosed with neuroborreliosis which, if you've never heard of that, is late-stage chronic Lyme disease with a neurological presentation. It's possible you've never heard of that either. What a relief, initially. We like to think of a diagnosis as synonymous with an answer, a treatment plan, a cure, but there is no answer for chronic Lyme. No known cure except an experimental multi-year onslaught of high-dose antibiotics that may or may not make you feel better. I took my chances on the medicine, and we handed over our savings. David's savings, if I'm being honest, in exchange for an arsenal of rattling orange bottles. Three times a day, I swallowed pills by the fistful. And we hoped for the best. My day started out all right, the sunny optimism of morning and the pleasant buzz of coffee. I later learned that in the morning my brain had a high level of cortisone, a natural steroid that kept my symptoms manageable. I would make plans for the day, biking at Pisgah in the afternoon or an evening session at the climbing gym. But as the cortisone wore off, I would get progressively worse, and the evening would find me in bed, fingers running up and down a set of scales I hadn't asked them to play, jaw clenched. The inability to predict what each day will bring turns you into a less than reliable person on all fronts. I canceled my plans so often that eventually there were less people to make plans with in the first place. Not everyone, of course, but some of those friends who had spent our wedding nights sprawled out on the daybed in the bridal suite—they came around a lot less. And if I did run into them, they always seemed pretty confused. You're still sick. Those are three words I grew accustomed to hearing. But I thought you had Lyme's disease. Isn't there a treatment for that? Not really, I'd say. And it's not Lyme's disease. It's Lyme disease. I wasn't always easy to be around. David would walk in the door at five o'clock sharp every evening and do his best to gauge what sort of day it had been for me. A question as benign as, did the dog get a walk today? could trigger an implosion of self-pity on my part. She didn't! I tried! I'm useless! I'm sorry! Or maybe some misplaced resentment was my disposition du jour. Of course she got a walk. What else would I do with my day? Everything is fine. I'm fine. The dog is fine. We're all fine. Not knowing how long this disease would stretch out, hoping to ration the empathy of my new husband, I did my best to gloss over the more alarming symptoms— Muscle spasms, slurred speech. On weekends, I pushed him out the door, urging him to spend the whole day at the river. I have to get some work done anyway, I'd say. But after he left, I'd climb back into bed, the ceiling fan turning in the quiet house and feel the hope and optimism that belongs to the young, the happy, and the newly married start to wash away. I set up my tent as the sun began to set over the Smokies. And setting up a tent with only one working arm is no picnic. But I got it done. Vapors of violet and crimson settled between the layers of mountains. Low lying wisps of smoky haze that gave this range its name. See, I knew there was a reason why I really liked to camp with other people. It's because it's a lot more fun. I mean, this this is nice to be outside. And it's nice to have the simplicity of everything. I mean, everything about it is nice, but this is the point in the night where, I don't know, this would be like the social part of the night, you know, where you look forward to it when, like, the dishes are done and you have that little bit of time where you have just enough energy to, like, tell a couple of ghost stories they're drink a couple of beers and then you can go to bed. And that's my favorite part of, I think, my whole life are those moments. And so... I don't know, this is when I start missing people. And, I don't know, the reason that I'm out here is because any disease is isolating, right? But this idea of a neurodegenerative disease, like a disease that gets worse, and worse, and there's only so much, like, pity is the wrong word. You know, people only care for so long and then they get back to their life of course you don't have like limitless supplies of energy and time and and it's like I don't want to tell anyone now because I know I'm gonna get worse so maybe I should just wait till I get worse anyway that is what I'm thinking about right now that's all I got for now my anxiety has extended beyond the physical concerns of pain and disability It ignited within me the most base and vulnerable of human fears. What if everyone left me because of this? What if the complex and, to be blunt, incredibly boring realities of life with a chronic and potentially degenerative disease was just not something that anybody could handle, not for the long haul? If it was fear that was causing me to harden and to hide, then I needed to face it. How many times had I gone into these mountains with my friends, to camp, and climb, and be together? This time I went into the park to be alone. But to be alone on my terms. Not all solitude is created equal. There are the afternoons, alone in bed. The world reduced to the ceiling fan, watching the sunlight's glacial glide across a white-painted wall. Relative to your tiny universe, you feel too big. Then there is the solitude you choose for yourself, like this one, where the sky above you goes on forever and the landscape appears as endless as the sky. The world is expansive and you are tiny. Your sickness is tiny. All of your problems shrink down to the head of a pin. Here's something I always sort of managed to get out of camping by myself because i I always thought I'd be really afraid when it got dark, and it turns out that I may have been afraid before, but now I'm so incredibly bothered.' <laughs> just it's it's kind of like uh, all right, give me something real and scary over this lake this constant pain and just annoyance so yeah I'm less freaked out than I thought of uh, my surroundings more annoyed by my own self which is kind of a major bummer because you can leave any place except for yourself so yeah major bummer if uh, if you're what's really bothering you That night, the wind that blew across the summit strained the rainfly on the tent and made a machine gun rattle. Sleep was not going to come easy that night, although I didn't mind. Eventually, I gave up on the idea altogether, unzipped the tent, and stepped outside onto the brittle grass. The sky above me was luscious with stars, constellations spread out like little glints of steel. But what caught my attention... What held me completely captivated were the little lights trembling all across the horizon, lights that belonged to cars, and homes, and all the people who lived inside them. And somewhere to the east of all that wilderness, David was fast asleep at our home, where the lights from the streets blotted out the stars above him. In the same way that I pushed my sleeping bag into the corner of the tent, David keeps to his side of the bed when I'm not there. I know this because I've spent so many nights out in the living room when I can't fall asleep, and when I creep back into our bedroom in the morning, I catch him lying like that, one arm stretched out into the space where I should be, reaching out for me even in his sleep. I was the only person on the mountaintop that night, but when I thought that I was completely alone in the wilderness, I was mistaken. The lights glimmering around me, I couldn't see them when I first arrived. That's the miracle of darkness that I'd never understood until that moment. Darkness is what allows us to see where the light comes from. It's what helps us to recognize those people who, no matter what happens, no matter how long it takes, will never stop reaching out for you. This is why we need places like this. Places like the Great Smoky Mountain National Park They give us perspective. Those airy mountaintops remind us of what it is we need to see I could have sat there until the sun came up, its rosy streamers erasing the stars and the lights in the distance. Sickness can keep you suspended between it is what it is, and it is what you decide it will be. It's a delicate place to have to exist. But then again, we're all in that place in one way or another. And when you think of it that way, none of us are alone out here.
0: Support for Milepost comes from REI, who just built a new app, a crowdsourced guide to the national parks. Use it to find guides, beautiful photos, and maps of the best trails. To learn more, visit REI.com nationalparks REI, a life outdoors is a life well lived. Additional support comes from the good people at Patagonia and from fireside provisions, mouthwatering meals for the campfire or cabin. And from Kuat Racks, avid cyclists, outdoor enthusiasts, and fine ale connoisseurs who teamed up to make a better bike rack. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. It's that time of year where my rack goes on the back of the truck and we point it for the desert. The Diaries is also made possible by you, our listeners. To pledge your support, go to our website and click the button in the upper right-hand corner. Thanks to everyone who has donated it already. Seriously, it makes a huge difference. It allows us to hire writers, pay people. Imagine that. So thank you. Music today from Kai Engel, the f Dub Beats, the cassettes, and Chris Zabriskie. Jacob Bain and Nice Kodo created our theme music. As always, you can find the links to the artists on our website. The story was written and recorded by Melina Coogan. You can find more of Melina's writing at thewildercoast.com. This episode was edited, mixed, and produced by Jen Altschul. I helped out a little bit. Nice work, guys. And our executive producer is Becca Call, who is back from maternity leave. Yes, that is awesome. You have been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.